I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shots. like. What a stop! Shots from Ben! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Hedden! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been... We're, be we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up. Yes, good afternoon. This is the Friday Football Premier League podcast with Dave McIntyre. Hello. And Nathan Murphy alongside me today. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. How Just are you? Just the two of us. Just the two of us. That tends to make pretty good radio. Well, so we hear. Yeah. So the figures tell us. Our thanks to all of our loyal listeners who have given us the best listenership figure we've ever had on a Saturday and a Sunday. Wow. And <coughs> to our um, esteemed colleagues during the week as well. Yeah. Obviously it is, and Adrian Barry has described this as the Murphy Bounce. Yeah, we got lucky this time. The Jane Alor people were down in Ballyhonus. <laughs> yeah. And the people of Ballyhonus have moved the dial. I didn't think there was that many people living in Ballyhonus, but clearly the population is far greater than many would have envisaged. A lot of people want to associate themselves with Ballyhonus. You know, we've got a large <laughs> diaspora spread around the country promoting the town on a pretty much a weekly basis here on News Talk. Uh, you, you were patting yourself on the back there during the intro. You were enjoying your own commentary. I was enjoying Stephen Reese's yeah, commentary. you were enjoying your own commentary. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I nailed that. I nailed it. <laughs> what game um, was that? Was that? that game was United Fulham. The game oh, of the yes. crosses, of the 84 crosses, the record-breaking number of crosses. And Richardson had put Fulham ahead very early on, I think. And then... United got two goals in the last 10 minutes and then Darren Bent equalised in injury time. Yeah. The other great commentary of last season was Phil Thompson's when Jordan Henderson scored against Swansea. Was that that Tomo immediately after Stephen Reid I Reed think there? it was, yeah. Right, yeah. Because I've done games with Tomo where he is difficult to cope with but <laughs> hilarious at the same time. There's a, there's a few wees when Tomo's involved. There are more than a few. There are more than a few. It's a pretty big weekend coming up. We've got two live games on a Sunday afternoon of Premier League football, which actually has four games, which is unusual and probably a re illustration of the number of English teams playing in the Europa League this season. But we are live at the Stadium of Light. Myself and Pat Nevin from 1.30 for Sunderland Everton. Plenty of Irish on view ahead of the trip to Celtic Park next week in the European Championship qualifiers. And then at four o'clock, you're at the Liberty Stadium in Swansea. The coldest Premier League ground I have ever set foot in and they're hosting Arsenal I love the Liberty Stadium I think I've been to the Liberty Stadium more than any other ground uh, over the past few years so you're well versed with I am well versed with the cold North I bought Wales, myself a new jacket South last Wales. week uh, when I was over in Birmingham ahead of the <laughs> Aston Villa match I had a couple of hours to spare got my winter coat and uh, yeah I think I'll get some good use out of it at the Liberty Stadium Swansea against Arsenal uh, myself and Paul McVeigh from 4 o'clock and you just have to look at Swansea to really see the way the Premier League season has gone. And we give ourselves a lot of hassle here about our lack of victories on the trebles. But Swansea are sixth in the league. Yeah, well, look, so you've kind of made your way into the Swansea game, so let's start with that. Um, you watched Arsenal on Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, I think it was, one of the crazier final 20 minutes of a Champions League game that I've ever seen. <laughs> even Arsenal, by even by their terms, we know they're well-versed to imploding, but this was even beyond that. And then you go back to the first match against Anderlecht, where they're 1-0 down, almost going into injury time, and they come back and win. And this is Arsenal, not just this season, but the last three or four years. Because when they were losing 1-0 to Anderlecht in the first match, they were also struggling in the league. And you're thinking, Arsenal are going absolutely mm. 
nowhere this season. They turn it around in that match. They get a couple of back-to-back wins in the league. They're 3-0 up against Anderlecht during the week. And you're looking at them and thinking they've got possibly the best player in the league right now in Alexis Sanchez, the most informed player in the league. And who knows, if they can go on a run of 6-7 wins, they could get themselves right into a title race. And then it happens again. But they're in an unusual position following the back-to-back games with Anderlecht, whereas if you told them before those two games that you'll take four points from it, they probably would have taken that. But now in hindsight, there are little or no positives that they can take. They were deplorably bad in Belgium in the first game. They played well for three and a half minutes and they were excellent for an hour and they imploded on Tuesday night against Anderlecht. It's very difficult to know where Arsenal are at the moment and it's not an easy place to go, the Liberty Stadium. It's a Swansea team who started brilliantly, then had that little bit of a, a trough, but they seem to be coming back again. Yeah, Aaron Ramsey seems to be taking the brunt of the blame for what happened against Anderlecht. That he needs priorities, Arsene Wenger says. It's not all about scoring goals. Yeah, it's Arsenal's inability to kill a game off. And there's quite a few teams like this. Liverpool are another one. Last season, when they were playing well, the opposition always sensed they could get a goal and get back into it. And it's more just a fact of slowing the pace of it. Again, the last night, even when they were 3-0 up, even when it was 3-1, Arsenal would get the ball and they would try and go on the counter-attack. Mm. And there's no need. The best teams, the teams, well, you would say with experience, but Arsenal should have the experience now. Just stop it. Just kill it. Just end the game as a spectacle. You Entertainment over for the last 20 was, minutes. I think it was Sky's analysis of the game that I was watching and they did freeze frame the Anderlecht goals after the Arsenal attacks had broken down just to give you an idea as to how many red shirts were in the final third of the field. It's utterly needless. Clueless is how Paul Merson described it. Clueless tactically. And you're right, they do not have, seem to have an off button when it comes to going forward. There's nobody in the team that's able to calm things down and say, right, lads, look what position we're in. We've got a great opportunity now to win this group and Dortmund come calling in two weeks' time. Let's just lock this game down. We'll take 3-0. We'll even take 3-1. Once the first Mm. goal went in, you would have thought that would have been even another trigger for someone to say, or namely the manager, to say, right, lads, let's lock it down. I don't want the fullbacks going forward. You get a message on to the two fullbacks. Do not cross the halfway line for the next 15 minutes. Yeah. You, well, that's Why it exactly. You would think when it gets to 3-1, none of the defenders and two of the two central midfielders don't go past the halfway line. You just hold it and then you've got your four attacking players who bring it into the corners and you have enough up there to keep the ball. If you lose it, they're not going to do any damage up there. But it, Liverpool are a prime example from last season when the full-backs used bomb forward no matter what time it was in the match and they would get caught constantly. And it's the middle of midfield that is still Arsenal's biggest problem. Now, Wilshire should be back for the trip to yeah. Swansea but Flamini Arteta, but again there's always question marks over how much he brings the thing that struck me most I'm not sure if you heard his interchange I think it was Martin Lipton that was questioning Wenger at the post-match press conference and he brought up the huge goals that they conceded last season against Tottenham against Ars, or against Manchester City and against Liverpool where they it was certainly Liverpool and City where they just shook went through terrible defeats Chelsea as well conceding 4-5-6 and Wenger said you're talking about history there I'm talking about tonight, refusing to allow any connection be brought between their defensive frailties last season and this season when clearly there's been absolutely no improvement. The midfielders still don't know their jobs and the fullbacks don't know where they should be. Yeah, and the season so far is panning out exactly as everyone predicted. This was what everyone said pre-season. Where is the holding midfielder who's just going to sit there and protect the midfield? Matthew Flamini, when he came back a couple of seasons ago, we presumed was just as a stopgap. 
a guy who would play 15, 20 games a season. He's still the main man. And he was never an outstanding player. No, he was semi-decent. Hmm. And he's proving not to be even quite that at the moment. So as the music from the Crystal Maze will tell us, we are running out of time to talk about Arsenal. And we're going to move on to the second game that we have on the Sunday. It's half one. It's Sunderland-Everton. Sunderland missing six first-teamers for this game with Everton, although they are coming into the game off the back of quite unusual win over Crystal Palace because they probably should have been a goal down very early. And had they been a goal down on Monday evening, you'd wonder what would have happened given their defensive and mental frailties at the moment. Yeah, Sunderland, you'd wonder how long Gus Poirier has there. The Up in the northeast, it swings from Newcastle to Sunderland. One of them is always in trouble. Has he not got a lot of credit in the bank? I don't know if he has. I, I would have thought that, but he even admitted himself um, when I was up at Sunderland at the start of the season for the game against Manchester United that nobody really cared about. But they enjoyed getting to the cup final. They just presume they're going to survive. They have, they don't have a team with any outstanding talent. They have a lot of good players. What they do have in Fletcher and Wickham are two strikers who should have enough goals in them to keep them up. But I think Sunderland probably want a bit more than that. But aside from the last four games of last season, we've never seen Conor Wickham score goals. And Stephen Fletcher is extremely streaky. You will never be able to count on him to give you a goal every other game over the course of a season. So while they can on their day be decent strikers, neither will reach 20 goals this season, remotely close to that. No, but they don't need 20 goals if they get 20 goals between the two of them. Will they even get that? He doesn't seem to know what he wants. Like, Adam Johnson is in and out of the side. Adam Johnson will have a, a spell. And perhaps this is the problem. They'll all have spells. Adam Johnson will have a spell, a one-month spell, where people will say he should be playing for England. Mm. And two weeks later, he won't be able to get in the Sunderland side. Jack Rodwell, who they spent a lot of money on, 10 million quid during the summer, has done nothing so far. And they look like they can let in a lot of goals. Everton are going to be relishing this one. I watched Everton last night in the Europa League and they were excellent. Now, Lille didn't put up much of a resistance. But, Osman, that attacking three behind Lukaku, I do have a problem with it slightly with Everton in that there doesn't seem to be any consistency. It's a different three but they do every game. selection, you mean? Yeah. Certainly, performance levels are reaching a plateau now where there are consistent displays week in, week out. I think they've picked up seven points from the last nine and offer in the Premier League. They won again last night, as you say. Um, they do seem to be playing well again. Barkley is back and Lukaku is amongst the goals again. Are you but a fan of Barkley? I just haven't seen enough of him to mm. make a long-term assessment of how good I think he can be. When I've watched him play... I can't find a weakness in his game apart from maybe his decision making from time to time but he's two footed he can drop a shoulder and beat players he's got a vicious shot on him he's good in the air he doesn't mind a tackle and he's got a great engine so you put all that together you've potentially got a world world class footballer Yeah the couple of games in the at the end of last season I covered for Everton I was really disappointed in him in fact in both of them he was taken off with around 20 minutes remaining and made no impact and that would be the concern that games can pass him by mm. Still so young though yeah, but you're talking about a guy who people are putting up there as a possible 25, 30 million pound signing because for Manchester English. United because he's English. Uh, they were arguing on last night's off the ball and uh, I heard Pat Nevin talking about it as well, uh, where Everton can go. And they all seem to feel, and Pat felt as well, I think that if Everton can put a run together, they're certainly good enough to finish fourth. I'm not quite sure. Well, they're, they're, in my opinion at the moment, and I'm sure we'll get into this later in the pod and indeed in the weeks to come that 
there are two Champions League places, if not three, up for grabs right now. I mean, are Man City good enough? We're going to get into them shortly to just streak away in second nah, City, place. City will do enough. You would imagine they will do enough. Sergio Aguero will score enough goals. They may be in a scrap with five or six other clubs. Certainly places three and four up for grabs. Would you accept that? Oh, completely. That there's any number of six clubs now that maybe United, Everton, Liverpool, Tottenham, Southampton, maybe one other might sneak their way in there. But I'm looking at the table at the moment. Like Sunderland are two points behind Manchester United and Everton. And they're three points behind Liverpool and Tottenham. So yeah. for their difficult start to the season where they drew too many games, only lost one of their opening seven, and then obviously just collapsed at Southampton, gave the game to Arsenal, they're not in a bad position. Yeah, it's incredibly tight. Like last week with, what, 10 minutes to go at Villa Park, I was commenting that Spurs are going to be two points outside the relegation zone, the way things are going. They end the day level on points with Liverpool and right back in that chase. There's a, all these teams have massive weaknesses. It is up to one of them. If Everton want to do it, they need to go on that sort of a run like they did towards the end of last season and win seven or eight games in a row. We'll get back to the uh, Sunday games very shortly. That is our first live game. Sunderland-Everton, it's live and off the ball at half one. We're on air at one o'clock. Pat Nevin, I think it's Pat's first appearance as co-commentator this season. He's joining me at the Stadium of Life before we head to South Wales and Swansea Arsenal. Let's move to... What's going on? Good man, Mr Holloway. Move to Saturday afternoon, the early kickoff. Oh, this is a tasty one. Liverpool (laughs) taking on Chelsea. And you were at Anfield for pretty much the game that decided last season's Premier League title. Yeah, they... They wanted us to be clowns, is what Jose Mourinho said. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it was it was the tactical masterclass, as it's now cliched, from Jose Mourinho. And if anything, Liverpool have gone massively backwards since then, and Chelsea have improved hugely. You think Demba Ba was the guy who scored the goal, the opening goal that day. Bring in Diego Costa. Bring in Cesc Fabregas. Obviously, the, all this talk coming into this is what Brendan Rodgers did against Real Madrid. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that, to be honest. The I team, think it was a ter- uh, a bad, bad error of judgment. What if he had played Sterling Coutinho but left the rest of them out? Yeah. And made I think he played, I would four have played, changes instead of six. I would have played Sterling. I don't see the problem. We had quite a row on last week's Off the Ball about, about Steven Gerrard. Um, I don't see the problem with dropping Gerrard. I think they have a huge problem. Was he dropped? Or did he have a he hamstring was told injury? Before the Newcastle game, apparently, that he wouldn't be playing at the Bernabeu. Yeah, and then he had a hamstring injury or a scan for a hamstring yeah. injury. But when the point, I don't believe him when he says this, but I think it is a valid point to make that their performance levels have been so poor that he isn't actually in a position to pick a consistent best 11 because nobody's actually playing well at the moment. So he could pick any number of players into the squad of 22, 23 players that he has because no one's actually convincing him. Isn't that a decent argument to make? So, look, why if you they stunk the joint out against Newcastle. I watched that game. They were awful. Offered nothing. So there was nobody in that team that day that justified their selection in the biggest game of the season for Liverpool in Madrid. But could you not counter that with Maybe the reason Liverpool are struggling is because they don't have a style, that they don't have a consistent starting eleven. You watch Liverpool and nobody seems to know exactly what they're doing. They're caught between two styles at the moment. And Gerrard is a big problem with that. We spoke about Arsenal. Liverpool don't have a defensive midfielder. Steven Gerrard, his first thought is not protect the defence. And Brendan Rodgers knows that. So he knows he's going out there without a defensive midfielder, which means they're going to let in goals. 
He tried against Queen's Park Rangers to play Gerrard a little bit further forward. It didn't work. He needs to figure out a way of... I think he, he knows he needs to play Gerrard. I think he will play Gerrard no matter what. But he needs to find a way of getting Chan or even Lucas, who did quite well, I thought, against Real Madrid. Now, Lucas, ever since the injury, he was never the quickest player, but he has zero pace. But maybe if you just ask him to sit there yeah. in front of the defence, at least you know you have that little bit of stability. Well, should they change their style for this game and just try and make it a dour game and maybe sneak it? The one thing that about Liverpool is that they're not playing with any of the same pace and verve and intensity as they were last season pressing high up pitch yet they're still conceding the same amount of goals you would have thought that given how pedestrian their attack is at times that the gaps that they're leaving behind them shouldn't be as glaring as they were last season yet they are not improving at the back at all yeah I think because the same problem remains that they don't have defenders who are defensively minded maybe stick Jordan Henderson in there Henderson looks wrecked so far this season perhaps from from the World Cup it'll be interesting to see Rogers' team selection because I would be surprised if he doesn't go with Balotelli up front by himself which hasn't worked at all this no. season and if you do that you're just going to give the ball back to Chelsea time and time again and they are going to lap that up you could see them dominating possession Chelsea their, clean, their record at the back is terrible away from home they haven't kept a clean sheet in their last six away games in the Premier League but they just look like a team that know how to get it done, just like they did at Anfield in that game, as you say, it was a tactical masterclass from Jose Mourinho. It's very hard to see Liverpool doing anything in this game. No, because they don't... I, I, I still don't think Rodgers has it in him to set them up, to play, even play Lukas and Emery Chan and Gerrard and keep yeah. it as tight as possible. If Chelsea just get an early the goal game. in this oh, then. and the Anfield crowd get on their back... This, this is why I think the Real Madrid decision could come back to haunt Rodgers. If they get something out of this game, it's forgotten about. It was worth going to Real Madrid and sacrificing that game and putting out that side and resting or dropping or whatever he did with Gerrard and Henderson and Sterling. But if they lose this and if they lose it badly, suddenly Brendan Rodgers doesn't understand the history of Liverpool. And, and for all that he goes on about the tradition and the history of this great club... I feel a little sorry for him because I think he is being held up against the achievements of last season which increasingly week on week seem to have been built almost solely on his two strikers and they've made him look a far better manager than he actually is and now that they're no longer available he's struggling terribly. Yeah, and that was always going to happen. He's coming out now saying oh, we overachieved last season we got further than we expected to get. Right now, you know, our aim for this season would have been to finish in the top four. And that's still the aim. But that's football. If expectations are raised, Brendan Rodgers, what he should have done... If they finish in in the top four. If they finish in the top four, it's a great season. But Brendan Rodgers, in hindsight, what he should have done was gone straight in when Luis Suarez said he wanted to leave again. Now, perhaps it was already arranged and said, if he leaves, I leave. Then he would have left. Then he would have left with his reputation... gone where? ...never been higher. And gone where? Could have gone anywhere. Where? Any amount of jobs would have come up. No, no. Take a little bit of a break. No Champions League hopefuls. Maybe not in England. Go abroad. Have you not heard him speaking fluent Spanish? <laughs> He's Italian. No, like, boy. I, I, I'm li- living in a dream world for Brendan Rodgers there that he could go in and say that. But the second Suarez left, he contributed so much, not just in the goals he scored, he had a huge amount of assists, but more important than that, the space he created for Coutinho and Sterling. 
And that's really noticeable this season, that there's nowhere for Sterling to run into. Sterling's playing almost kind of a tiki-taka style of football when he gets it. Neat little passes on the edge of the area. Nowhere to go, though. And that's got, nothing and, for Raheem. And nobody to play it in behind for him. Um, let's move away from Liverpool-Chelsea. I think we're both going for a Chelsea result. Certainly a draw of not almost likely three points. Manchester United-Crystal Palace. In terms of the team news, we now learned that uh, Marcus Rojo is going to be missing for six weeks, which maybe isn't as bad as they would have first feared when they heard that his shoulder had been dislocated. Smalling to spend for that ridiculous red card. Evans and Jones still injured. And Palace, though, are missing Mili Jedinak, who really drives that team forward. That's a major blow to them. The press conference at Old Trafford, it's about two o'clock now as we're recording this, myself and Nathan, and in the last hour it's finished with Louis van Gaal saying that the building, the rebuilding process at Old Trafford will take three years. It's a long, far cry from the three months which he initially spoke of when he first arrived. Well, was it judge me after three months and was it, well, we'll attempt to qualify Champions League this year, we will qualify for the Champions League next year and challenge for the title and then in year three we'll go and win the title. There have been there have been subtle signs of improvement but there had to be when you bring in players of the quality mm. of Angel de Maria you're going to have some sort of an improvement from say that match up in Sunderland which was as low as it got for Manchester United where Sunderland just completely dominated possession but they haven't improved at the back and how can you when you don't know who's going to play at the back every week it's a changing yeah, back four it's ex- I think they've had eight different central defensive partnerships once Carrick went in alongside Paddy McNair last weekend that was their eighth in ten games which is mind boggling but at the same time defensively I have seen improvements I've seen United four times this season and certainly against Chelsea didn't give up very many opportunities David De Gea wasn't tested in any way in comparison to the manner in which he was against Everton, for example, mm. or against Manchester City last weekend. And prior to the Smalling red card a week ago, in the Manchester Derby, they looked reasonably solid. There was a penalty shout. I don't think there was a single really good goal-scoring opportunity created by City. The red card changed everything. So having seen them live as many times as I have, four times already, I saw them against Everton, West Ta- or Everton QP or Chelsea and City, I have seen improvements at the back. A lot of it's come from midfield and I think they're working harder off the ball. And I think they can take positives from the games they've played over the last two and a half weeks, even though they haven't won any of them. But you would think this should be three points that will help them get back on track. Oh, this is a perfect game, you will presume, at home to Crystal Palace, who are in a bad run of form now. There's a lot of pressure coming on Neil Warnock. If this was at Selhurst Park, you might have some sort of questions about Manchester United, but I think they'll win this quite easily. Ironically, the problems for United now are up front. Falcao is injured and making no sign of returning. Robin Van Persie's place seems to be under pressure. There's talk he might bring in James Wilson. I was at the summit over the last couple of days. I was interviewing Simon Cooper, who knows Van Gaal well and has looked at him throughout his career. And he was talking, he wrote an article about Van Gaal the day he was appointed, saying one thing you can expect is conflict. And that's one thing we haven't really seen so mm. far. And I was saying, where is it going to come from? He said, well, if he drops Robin Van Persie or Wayne Rooney, that's when it'll come because they won't go quietly. Even though he has this relationship with Van Persie, Van Persie will not take well, sitting on the bench. Did you see Gary Neville's analysis of Robin Van Persie yeah. on Monday night? Which certainly for the first portion of that painted the Van Persie situation in a very different way in, it, in that his midfield teammates are not actually finding him. The runs that he has always made, he's still actually making them, but there isn't someone in the United team that's actually picking those passes out at the moment. Most of the blame being placed at the feet of Daly Blind. 
and had Michael Carrick for example been playing that he may well have bent some of those balls in there in the back of central defenders and I mean there was a lot to be said for what he was saying but the main negative was that he's not holding the ball up there were times when the ball was just bouncing off him when they desperately needed an out ball in the Manchester mm. derby when they were down to 10 men but in saying that the last 15 minutes at the Etihad United were excellent going forward they had two great opportunities Di Maria should have scored Van Persie created a great chance all on his own almost managed to get an equaliser so I think and against Chelsea as well where they're the better of the chances in the first half they are still creating decent opportunities you think they'll create a whole amount of more this weekend and certainly take enough to win the game and if results elsewhere go their way suddenly they're only a couple of points off the top four before they visit Arsenal Was that a little bit harsh on Daily Blind because Daily Blind offers a lot more than Michael Carrick Daily Blind has a lot more defensive responsibility than Michael Carrick has ever taken on so that's why I think it was just a couple of the examples of he picked the runs out that Van Persie had made and it just happened that the ball was at the feet of Blind when these runs were being made it could have been any United midfielder I think that they don't seem to be able to pick him out and maybe that's because Angle Di Marie has not been played in the right position. He's been played in a wider position, whereas when he first arrived at Old Trafford, he was sort of in, left of centre in an inside wing play, position, either on the left-hand side or the right-hand side, where he's more likely to dictate the play. But maybe they'll move him as well. Rooney will play, Van Persie will play. I certainly would, I would think United will actually do okay between now and Christmas and then they'll go back into the January transfer market with the checkbook open, maybe sign a couple of defenders. There is the possibility that it just doesn't happen for Louis van Gaal. There's sort of an assumption, like there's no real questioning, and that's why he is such a good appointment, because his record speaks for Mm. itself, so you can't overly criticise him. But there's no guarantees that it is going to improve over the next few weeks, between now and the end of the season. It may, he just mightn't have, yeah, he mightn't have the right group of players. Robin Van Persie is, what, 31 now? I don't know. I, I, I think the race for fourth is going to be... But they will be in it. Oh, they, they will be right in it. Yeah. And they should be in it. And, and they should be finishing in the top four with this team. of Louis van Gaal and Manchester United at the moment. They're playing Crystal Palace at three o'clock. Of course, we'll have all the goals, all the team news, all the updates right through the afternoon and off the ball. We're on air from two all the way through to six o'clock. I think you're off tomorrow, aren't you? I am. Myself, Adrian and Jerry will be in studio. And Kenny Cunningham will be in studio as well. Kenny will be joining us as well. So that should be pretty interesting. Moving on to one of the form teams in the Premier League at the moment. Title challenger Southampton. <laughs> they take on Leicester, who haven't won a game since they put five past Manchester United, and they've only scored once. And given that Southampton have only conceded once at home all season, it's um, probably an easy one to predict. You would presume so, but this run will end eventually. You would imagine for Southampton, Not this their defence is has been excellent and has probably been overlooked because Pella and Tadic have been so impressive. But that's where they did really good business. Fraser Foster, who they didn't pay a huge amount. Well, they pay they paid ten million. I think they might have paid ten million yeah, in the end yeah. for Fraser Foster. So they paid enough for Fraser Foster, but a significant improvement in Arthur Boric. Klein and Chambers were always interchangeable last season. Klein has stepped up since he's pretty much been made full time right back. Ryan Bertrand on loan didn't have to pay anything. Arguably an improvement on Luke Shaw, and then Jose Font perhaps was overlooked for Lovren that everyone assumed Lovren was the mm. reason that Southampton were good defensively whereas Font has stayed uh, they've made a couple of signings at the back as well they've got good options as well. they don't have a huge squad Southampton they don't need a huge squad but they have four or five players always on the bench who can come in as direct replacements so yeah they've 16 players of similar ability yeah 
which for a team who, with the ambitions of Southampton is a great place to be in. Defensively, they all seem to know their jobs. Individually, everybody knows exactly where they should be. The amount of times you see Stephen Davis, who's a pretty much you know run-of-the-mill Premier League journeyman. Journeyman midfield, that's the word I was looking for. He he knows exactly when he needs to drop in. If somebody's out of position, inevitably the ball is going to break towards Stephen Davis. And he's just one example of a number of guys who are doing that. Wanyama's playing well. He'll be delighted with his goal last weekend, of course. They have the best offensive record of any team in the top four divisions of English football, which is an astonishing statistic given the players that they lost. But one caveat would be if Leicester were suddenly and Ochoa for example was to suddenly rediscover his goal scoring form and they beat Southampton this weekend they'd actually be one point worse off than they were at this <laughs> stage last season and this stage last season was where we were all looking at going oh they've got a tough run of fixtures this way are going to fade and they did in December yeah. Southampton do get a tough run of fixtures but because it's slightly different this year because so many teams in that race for Champions League position are dropping points. It's hard not to see Southampton, say come Christmas, even if they do lose a couple of matches, not being fifth or sixth. Mm. So if they can just keep hanging in there, you start growing a little bit of confidence. You get Jay Rodriguez back and don't sell him to Spurs. You buy maybe somebody else in the January transfer window if needs be. I just why, think the main improvement... Rodriguez want to go to Spurs, for example? Because they're at the moment, there's money, more chance of Southampton money, being in the Champions money. League. It isn't all necessarily about money if you think you can get your check at Southampton next season if you're finishing the top four. They look oh, the one you you paint a pretty accurate picture there in terms of their points tally maybe around Christmas in around thirty three perhaps thirty five already guaranteed Premier League survival. How much of an appetite will they have then in, from January onwards to go absolutely after every single game or do what Newcastle did last season, brilliantly placed at the turn of the year, barely kick a ball between January and May? You would think under Ronald Koeman and someone of his stature and achievement, level of achievement, that maybe that won't happen and they actually will be able to hang in, as you say. Yeah, I think they're made of sterner stuff. Yeah. And what, I think an area, that's again, that's been overlooked with Southampton is that middle of midfield area, that Schneiderlin and Wanyama... Now, Wanyama missed pretty much all of last season through injury. But Schneidlin and Wanyama and Davis are all seen as defensive midfielders. Mm. But they've all been scoring goals this season. <laughs> He's getting the best out of, in both worlds out of all these players. Yeah. Um, another team banging form at the moment, West Ham, against an Aston Villa side who I was talked out of backing for relegation at the start of the season. They were 3-1. to one. I was going to put a good bit on them. And I was thankful that I didn't when they finished with 10 points on their opening four games. Would have got better odds then. And suddenly... They look like they're in for a serious relegation scrap. They've lost six in a row. They've scored once since they beat Liverpool two months ago. This is free fall and Villa are in dire straits, missing Benteke for three games after that red card. This you game, saw them last weekend, I was at Villa yeah. Park last weekend and I'm always wary of judging any team from their performance against Tottenham because Tottenham are such an easy team to play against, particularly at home, because you can just impose yourself on the match. The problem is... Aston Villa were very good for 66 minutes of that match. Christian Benteke gets sent off. That was the game changer? Well, that was completely the game changer. Now, they still did reasonably well for the following 15, 20 minutes, but it could also be a season changer because Paul Lambert had been saying before that game it might take six or seven matches for Benteke to get back to full fitness. He looked back to full fitness. He was bullying Kabul and Vertonghen holding the ball up, bringing all the midfielders into the game. Ashley Westwood, cleverly, were all getting involved in around the edge of the area. And Zogbia was seeing a lot of the ball. And you're looking at Villa and thinking, ah, this is the Villa we saw in the first three, four weeks of the season. And yet in that hour or so, they still score, only scored once. They should have scored two or three. But 
Adebayor missed a one-on-one. Soldado missed a gilt-edge chance, free header, three, four yards out. So they also gave up chances. And with Benteke, we said at the end of last season, maybe it wasn't bad timing for Benteke to get injured if it means he stays at Villa next season. Now he's not going to play again until December with this three-match ban. Mm. And they've nobody to score goals. Five goals all season. Major problem. And Paul Lambert was saying before the game last week, well, if it was the other way around and we'd lost our first five games and we'd won our next three games, sure nobody would be questioning me at all. If he'd lost his first five games, he would have been sacked. He wouldn't have been in that position. Yeah. They he have... Been sacked before the end of the season because the long-term prognosis for Villa is that they're going nowhere. They're in the same position now as they've been for three years under Paul Lambert. Looking down the throat of a scrap for relegation. Again, yeah, two 15th place finishes in a row under Paul Lambert. He hasn't had a lot of money Quick to spend. West Ham. They've scored in their last nine Premier League games as their best run of goal scoring in five years. Sacco is probably back this weekend. He's been one of the stars of the show so far. Valencia has taken no time at all to settle in. Alex Song is playing some wonderful mm. football, not only defensively, but actually linking midfield and attack as well. Yeah, if Sacco's back, you would imagine that would make a massive difference for them. And also, they showed a lot of fight last week against Stoke. Uh, where you thought the run might come to an end with Sacco not there as well but they downing back in the England squad he has players playing at the peak of their powers Sam Allardyce just named as manager of the month this afternoon uh, and Sacco named as as player Mm. of the month I don't think we're looking at West Ham in the same way we're looking at Southampton I think West Ham we're looking at a team who could finish 8th, ninth. But that's what we were saying at the start of the season. The West Ham fans need to calm down. Don't sack Big Sam. Finish 8th or ninth for the next couple of seasons. Move to the Olympic Stadium mm. and then see where you can take the club. Yeah, their current four were starting to make us um, members of the pod- Friday Football Podcast team seem worldly wise, which clearly <laughs> isn't the case. But look, we'll take everything we can get. Let's rattle through a couple of the last fixtures before we'll wrap things up with QPR Man City. Tottenham Stoke. Um, eight ga- goals in eight games for Harry Kane. Scored again last night. And yet... He'll only be picked, or if Tottenham fans only want him to be picked, according to Mauricio Pochettino, because he's English. Surely it's because your other strikers are woeful and he's the one in form. Well, Mauricio Pochettino wants to be a success at Tottenham. He's not leaving Harry Kane on the bench out of spite. He's obviously looking at the matches on the training ground, is looking at the quality in the Europa League and the League Cup, where Harry Kane has got almost all his goals, except for that deflected free kick against Villa last week, and thinking the quality is slightly different here. He's usually playing one up front. Last week he went with Soldado and Adebayor, changed it slightly. But in general, he's gone with one up front. Maybe Harry Kane doesn't work enough, doesn't put enough effort in, doesn't drop back enough. I am not a fan of this Tottenham side. I've seen them three times now this season. We always talk about the spine of a team and having a strong spine. If you have that, you're going to go a long way. Tottenham have no spine whatsoever. Maybe that's not a great thing if you're playing Stoke who probably will be disappointed overall with their start of the season, despite the fact that they're a couple of points better off than they were at this stage last season. It's, I, don't, I think Stoke could actually really rattle Tottenham's cage this weekend and maybe take something major from White Hart Lane. Tottenham have lost three of their last four home games and all those three defeats have come on the back of Europa League fixtures, which is the situation that they're in this week. And let's have a quick look at some of the other games this weekend. We've got two on Sunday. West Brom, Newcastle. Newcastle looking for their fifth win in a row in all competitions. If you'd said this to us a month ago, we'd have laughed at you. Yeah, they're flying. It's astonishing. What a transformation. And I've been banging the Alan you drove all season. Now, haven't I? Genuinely. <coughs> you have. I think he's you doing have. an excellent job. No, you, ch- you, you, were banging, you were banging the Alan you drum at the start of the season, and then you changed. 
Did I say he needs you, to go? Yes. I'd, I'd, I you think did. need to fish I'm, that quote out. I'm fairly certain you did. You said, they're going nowhere. They've no fight. But it so, changes. It, somehow they've discovered a huge amount of fight. So, somehow they have. And th- one of the main reasons for that, I think, is Musa Sissoko. And at halftime in that Spurs match, White Hart Lane, where they're 1-0 down, he makes a couple of changes. They get that goal after seven seconds in mm. the second half. But because of the changes they made, they ended up playing Sissoko in the middle of midfield. And he was brilliant. He was brought in as this, this tricky winger. Class. He was he's brought in as a tricky winger. And he's just head down. Yeah. His end product is excellent. Yeah. It, I think it goes back as far as when they were two goals down, or one nil down, two one down against Hull. And uh, Cissé got the two goals. It kind of just helped them at least take a point from that game and just keep the sacking wolf from the door for another week. Um, against the West Brom team, we're also on form at the moment. Berahino in the England squad this week. Highest scoring Englishman in the Premier League. This is actually a very interesting game. That's at half one as well. We'll have live reports during our Sunderland-Everton commentary from that game at the Hawthorns. And then the last game, that's we've gone through all the Sunday games. Last but not least, Man City QPR. Manchester City. They were a shambles on Wednesday. They were, but they were also screwed over by the referee. You can argue they shouldn't have let themselves into that, be in that position in the first place. It was a, a pretty typical City performance so far this season. You knew going into the Manchester Derby the performance would raise. The bigger the game in general, the better City perform. But the atmosphere at the Etihad against CSK was just dead. This, there was a lot of empty seats and the players seemed to be affected by that. There was nothing to them at all. Aguero's the only one with a little bit of spark. David Silva out for a couple of weeks more. I, I still think they'll have more than enough to go to Loftus Road and beat Queen's Park Rangers. But it's something we've been saying quite a bit in recent weeks. Manuel Pellegrini was the perfect man to come in and replace Roberto Mancini. To bring a sense of calm to the place. There was too many stories coming out of Manchester City. There was too much aggro in the dressing room. He calmed all that down. They won the league just about last season, despite having clearly the best group of players. This season, his personality seems to be still reflected in the team in that they're just everything's just okay. They're yeah. not getting too excited about it. They're not too down when they're defeated. Could be an awful lot of pressure if they don't get a result against QPR this weekend. That's the half-five game. We neglected to mention Burnley Hull. How could you... potentially a classic... I don't know where Burnley are going to go. They still haven't won. They have to go down to the eighth tier of English football to find another club that haven't won a game this season. I think they might win this one. They could well do, but Hull... They're in my treble. I think Hull scored for the first eight games, haven't scored for the last two. Give us your treble there quickly. I haven't got one, so I'll leave it to you. Burnley, Southampton, Manchester United. And what does that come to? I think it's about six to one. Okay, six to one. Right, well, listen, we're back. Thanks to you, Nathan. Cheers, Dave. You enjoy your tomorrow off I know you're going to be working Sunday as will I and we're back at 2 o'clock tomorrow we've got our panel and then we're through all the way to 6 everything that's happening in the Premier League build up to Ireland South Africa as well at the Aviva and then two live games in the Barclays Premier League on Sunday thanks for listening we'll speak to you again next week